This is Finding Center, a daily half-hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is The Great Danger. Mark B. Colton, an associate professor in the BYU Department of Mechanical Engineering at the time of this devotional, will give his address entitled, Never Give Up on Your Testimony of the Gospel. I recently received a very nice thank you note from a graduating student. After saying lots of nice things, he concluded by saying, despite the fact that you graduated from the U, I think you're a great guy. (laughs) So don't worry, I am a great guy, and I'm thrilled to be here at BYU with so many great students and colleagues. I hope that all of you feel that way too. Last week, I had a great time with my son Tate and the rest of the teachers and priests from our ward on their annual high adventure trip. Among other things, we kayaked on the Green River and mountain biked in the La Salle Mountains. One of the highlights of the trip was rappelling down a 175-foot cliff below a double arch. I'm not a great adventurer, and I'm definitely not an experienced climber. I have always had a fear of heights and, before last week, had never rappelled. As I started the descent, the engineer in me started to think about how ropes can fray and carabiners can break. I know my fears were irrational, but there is some inherent danger in repelling. Maybe a little healthy fear is a good thing if it helps me stay safe. Now, repelling isn't the only dangerous thing in the world. In fact, the world is basically a dangerous place. Here are some numbers that I read in an article some years ago that illustrate what I mean. You have a 1 in 11 million risk of dying from an earthquake or volcano. There is a 1 in 12 million chance you will die from leaking gas. You have a 1 in 6 million probability of being injured in an elevator ride. There is a 1 in 23 million chance that you will die from drinking detergent. Your risk of being infected with flesh-eating bacteria is 1 in 170,000. You have a 1 in 11,000 chance of being murdered, a 1 in 400 chance of being robbed, and a 1 in 50 chance of being burglarized. Certain risks depend on where you were born. For example, in the United States, you have a 1 in 100 chance of dying before the age of 5. In South Asia, on the other hand, you have a 1 chance in 8. Other risks have to do with whether you're a man or a woman. For example, men are 2.3 times as likely to die in a car crash and 3.3 times as likely to accidentally poison themselves. (laughs) Maybe with detergent, I don't know. (laughs) Women in the U.S., on the other hand, have a 1 in 12,500 chance of dying in childbirth. I'm sure some of you have wondered this. What are your chances of being struck by lightning this year? The answer is 1 in 750,000. And finally, a piece of good news. What are the odds that you will be hit by a meteor? Only one in 150 trillion. Now, the dangers are real, and they make me worry. Anyone who sent a daughter to her first day of school, dropped a son off at scout camp, or given the car keys to their teenager for the first time knows what I'm talking about. In preparation for all the dangers in the world, I want to sit my children down and tell them to look both ways before crossing the street and to chew their food carefully. I want to warn them to always wear seatbelts and to check their blind spot. I want to tell them to not talk to strangers and to avoid volcanoes. I want to urge them to play tennis instead of football. I want to warn them of the danger of drinking detergent. 
there is one danger which was not listed here that worries me most of all, and that's what I would like to talk about today. A few years ago, one of my colleagues came to my office to tell me some sad news about a mutual friend. He told me that our friend had chosen to leave the church because he no longer believed it was true. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. My friend was a strong member of the church, a returned missionary, a well-educated person from a good family, someone who had served in positions of responsibility in the church, and now he was throwing away something that used to be precious to him. I was surprised by how hard I took the news. I was shocked and sad, and my mind kept returning to my friend and his family. I wondered how this could have happened. How was it possible that someone who at one point had a bright testimony of the gospel and had shared it with others was now leaving the church because that testimony was gone? In my mind, it was a tragedy, and it affected me deeply. I'm sure some of you have been more deeply affected as someone close to you has lost their way and their faith. This is the danger that I worry about, losing one's testimony, whether through a crisis of faith or through a slow, subtle decline. Closely related to it is the danger of just getting by with a testimony that is inadequate or incomplete. I know that each of us will undoubtedly face challenges to our testimonies, and the danger is very real. Although I view what happened to my friend and others like him as a tragedy, this experience has resulted in one positive outcome for me. It has made me think about my own testimony and re-examine what I believe. I have looked carefully at what I am doing to keep and to strengthen my testimony, and I have made changes. The result has been great. As I have done those things that I know I must do to gain the kind of testimony that I want, I have felt the Savior's love for me, and my testimony of Him and of the restored gospel has grown. My knowledge is still imperfect and incomplete, but it has been exciting to feel it grow from something that was good to something that is much better. What I want to share today is not just for those whose testimonies are at the point where they are considering leaving the Church or have already decided to do so. I assume that most people listening today are not in that category, but maybe some are. I also want to direct my comments to those whose testimonies are not as strong as they should be or want them to be, to those who struggle with doubt or wonder about certain doctrines, to those whose questions prevent them from being able to declare with confidence that they know the Church is true to those who go through the motions of Church membership for family or cultural reasons but haven't felt the warmth of a testimony for some time, to those maybe who find their belief and faith slowly drifting away and want to have them back. My thoughts today are for people who, like me, want their testimonies to be stronger and want to avoid the danger of letting them die. If I had to summarize in one sentence the key to keeping and strengthening your testimony, it would be this. You have to fight for your testimony. There are many things we're willing to fight for. Who has been willing to go to battle, figuratively, for something that they wanted badly? Who has put in long hours of hard study to get a needed grade on a final exam? Who has practiced diligently and passionately to master a sport or a musical instrument? Who would put up a fight if someone were trying to steal something of value from them? Our testimonies are our most valuable possession, and someone is trying to steal them from us. Can you imagine what our testimonies would be like if we fought for them with the same tenacity with which we fight for other things in life? I think there are two reasons why we need to fight for our testimonies. First, we show our Father in Heaven how much we value our testimony and that we want to keep it. I believe He is more eager to give the gift of testimony to those He knows 
will cherish it, protect it, and fight for it. The second reason is that those things that constitute a good fight are also the things that will naturally result in a stronger testimony. I'm talking about prayer, study, fasting, and all of the tools that we already know to be the key to gaining faith and knowledge. We all know that we need to be doing these things. But when it comes to growing our testimonies, it's not enough to just do them. We need to do them with purpose and focus and consistency. Doing these things casually is not nearly enough when a testimony is in danger. If you are struggling with your faith and not receiving the testimony that you want, despite prayer, study, and fasting, I urge you to not give up. Do these things with renewed vigor. Make it a true fight. I feel very strongly that our Father in Heaven will reward those who fight for their testimony. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland, who has said many great things about faith and testimonies, said, In moments of fear or doubt or troubling times, hold the ground you have already won, even if that ground is limited. He goes on to say, Hold fast to what you already know and stand strong until additional knowledge comes. So fight for your testimony that you have, and your testimony will grow. The next key should be obvious to everyone. Our Heavenly Father, through the Holy Ghost, is the only source of a true testimony. Moroni promises that after doing your part to obtain a testimony, Christ will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, you may know the truth of all things. No matter how impressive your learning, mastery of the scriptures, life experience, or logic and reason, only the Holy Ghost can impart the kind of testimony that lasts. We need to turn to God for confirmation of the truth. There's a corollary to that last statement. Although there is only one source of a true testimony, there are many sources of falsehood. About 11 years ago, our twins Max and Mia were two years old and we were living in an apartment while I was in graduate school. To my wife's horror, we discovered that there was a mouse in our apartment. We bought a mouse trap, put some peanut butter on it, and placed it next to a baseboard on the kitchen floor where we had seen the mouse. Two-year-olds and mouse traps don't coexist very well, so we took Max and Mia into the kitchen, pointed out the mouse trap, and explained to them how dangerous it was. We told them to stay away from it, to keep their fingers out, that it would hurt them. We even used our scary voices. No, don't touch, danger. A couple of days later, while most of us were sitting on the couch in the other room, we heard a snap and then a scream. We hurried into the kitchen and found little Mia with her fingers in the trap and her peanut butter on her lips. Brothers and sisters, there are many sources of falsehood in the world. Please don't put your fingers in those traps. Don't turn to them in your quest for a testimony. There have been and always will be intelligent, articulate people in the world that will try to convince you that the Church is not true, that God does not exist, and that anyone who believes that there is a God is foolish and naive. Don't go to those sources. Don't turn to people on the Internet who are seeking to destroy your testimony. Like with our twins, I want to point at those traps and tell you how dangerous they are. I want to tell you to stay away from them, to keep your fingers out, that they will hurt you. I want to use my scary voice. No, don't touch. Danger. You would never turn to an engineering textbook to learn accounting or play basketball to prepare for a final exam. It just doesn't make sense. Turning to other sources for understanding or to gain a testimony makes even less sense. Don't do it. It will open the door to deception and confusion.
Some may think that if the church is true, then our testimony should be able to stand up to anything that people can write about it on the Internet. Others might claim that we are told not to read such things because the church is something to hide. These claims just aren't true. It has never been a question of whether the church is true or has something to hide. It is about the cleverness and subtlety of the adversary and his ability to deceive and confuse. He teams up with clever people who are very convincing. Together, they always find exactly the right wedge to drive into the cracks in our faith. Please don't put your fingers in that trap. The next key to getting the type of testimony that we want is to choose to believe. Elder L. Whitney Clayton stated, The decision to believe is the most important choice we ever make. Some may say that this is a naive approach to finding truth, that choosing to believe something won't make it true. But that's not what we're asked to do. We know that choosing to believe is the first step toward knowing if something is true. The Prophet Alma taught that we need to exercise a particle of faith, desire to believe, and let the desire work in us until we truly believe. In the April General Conference, Elder Clayton emphasized the importance of choosing to believe. Belief and testimony and faith are not passive principles. They do not just happen to us. Belief is something we choose. We hope for it, we work for it, and we sacrifice for it. We will not accidentally come to believe in the Savior and His gospel any more than we will accidentally pray or pay tithing. We actively choose to believe, just like we choose to keep other commandments. As part of choosing to believe, we need to suspend our doubts so that our faith and testimonies have a chance to grow. I'm not saying that we need to pretend that our doubts or questions don't exist. We just need to move them far enough to the side, as Alma said, to give place that a seed may be planted in our heart. As the seed grows into a strong testimony, our doubts and concerns will be pushed further and further to the side. They may not immediately go away, but the strength of your belief will render them insignificant until the day when all the doubts and questions will be resolved. We all have questions in life, many of which are unanswered. The next key to keeping our testimony strong is to not let those unanswered questions undermine our faith. When the friend I spoke about left the Church, one of the reasons he gave for not believing the Church is true is that the data don't support it. We naturally want to understand how everything fits together, how science and religion agree, how Church history and secular history match up. We want facts. We want proof. We want data. I understand. I consider myself a scientific guy. I want to understand how it all works. But I can't let what I don't know destroy what I do know. My scientific side, as important as it is, can't dominate my spiritual side. Regarding questions of faith, Elder Holland said, In this Church, what we know will always trump what we do not know. And remember, in this world, everyone is to walk by faith. Elder Holland is telling us two things. We do know quite a bit about how things fit together. And for those things that we don't know, we're just going to have to get by on faith. This does not mean that we should stop thinking deeply and asking difficult questions. It is important for us to continue to ask questions, but we must do it using the enabling power of faith, assuming that answers will come, rather than under the stifling influence of doubt. I firmly believe that eventually all questions of science, religion, and history will be answered in full. Sometimes I draw strength from the fact that there are a lot of intelligent, educated people that have amazing testimonies of the Savior and the restored gospel. I think of the testimonies of President Irene and Elder Oaks and Elder Nelson. These are educated, intelligent, successful men, and they believe. I think of the testimonies of my friends, colleagues, and family. 
These people are smarter than me, and they believe. I think about President Irene's father, one of the most important theoretical chemists of the 20th century. He believed. He also nicely summarized the issue when he said, Some have asked me, is there any conflict between science and religion? There is no conflict in the mind of God, but often there is conflict in the minds of men. Through the eternities, we are going to get closer and closer to understanding the mind of God. Then the conflicts will disappear. Remember that there are answers and there are reasons. God knows them and will help us to understand them if we don't let the unanswered questions undermine our faith. The next key is to follow Alma's counsel to experiment upon the word. In science and engineering fields, experiments are essential. Scientists perform experiments to understand phenomena, to test hypotheses, and to validate theoretical models. Experiments are designed to answer important questions. Some of my best friends are scientists. Dave Thompson in the Department of Physiology and Developmental Biology conducts experiments that test whether caffeine affects the ability of skeletal muscle to grow when it is stressed. Matt Seeley in the Department of Exercise Sciences has conducted experiments in which he injects saline into a person's knee to cause pain and then measures the change in the person's gait in response to the pain. Now, although that sounds cruel, without conducting these experiments, they would never be able to know the answers to their questions. My colleagues and I study how people interact with robots. In a recent project, we worked with students and faculty from the Departments of Computer Science and Communication Disorders to explore how therapists can use robots to help children with autism. The therapists used the robot to engage the children in games, sharing activities, and songs with actions, such as popcorn popping. Although our results were not perfect, we found that for some children with autism, using robots can help them make improvements in important social behaviors. What if we had dreamed up a robot but had never built it to see how it worked? Or what if we had built the robot but never let the therapist use it in the clinic? Our work would have been useless. You can read all you want about a topic. You can think carefully about a research question. You can look at the theory and develop mathematical models. You can even look at other people's research. But until you try it out, until you get your hands dirty in actual experiments, you'll never get a definitive answer for yourself. The same is true for obtaining and keeping a testimony of the gospel. We need to experiment upon the word. Only by getting our hands dirty can we get a definitive answer for ourselves. In the Book of Mormon, Alma tells us the Lord's way of experimenting. We must desire to have a testimony. We must exercise what faith we have, even if it's very little. We must do those things that will make our faith grow, and then we watch carefully to see if it grows. But there's a problem. Whether they're scientific or spiritual experiments, experiments are hard. There's so much work. It seems, at least initially, that they never go exactly as planned. Sometimes it is because we're asking the wrong question. Sometimes we're not following the correct procedure. Sometimes we're not patient enough, and we miss out on the beautiful results that would have come had we just stuck with the experiment a little longer. Sometimes we need to repeat the experiment. I teach a class called Mechatronics, which culminates in teams of students building and programming small robots to compete against other teams. This class is a lot of fun, but can also be really frustrating. Just ask the students. One of the frustrating things about it is the attention to detail that is required for circuits, motors, and sensors to actually work. Here's a common scenario in the mechatronics class. A student will come to me and tell me that a circuit that he built is not working, 
even though he connected everything exactly like he was supposed to. We'll then proceed to figure out what is wrong, checking all the connections in the circuit. At a certain point, I'll ask, did you connect the blank to the blank? He'll say that he did not, because that connection didn't seem critical. I'll point out that the data sheet, which is a set of instructions for the circuit, says that that connection needs to be made. It's not an optional connection, and the circuit probably won't work without it. When it comes to experimenting upon the word to gain a testimony, we need to conduct the experiments in the Lord's way. We need to complete all the required steps and make all the necessary connections to be successful. The steps include study, faith, prayer, and fasting. There's no other way to gain a testimony. If we leave one of the steps out, we can't reasonably expect to gain the testimony that we want. It just doesn't work that way. If the results do not come uh, right away, re-examine whether you are doing all the things that you need to do. Be patient. The Lord's experimental method works. He wants to give you an answer if you continue your, to fight your way through the experiment. Once again, don't give up. Let me add that to receive a true and deep testimony of the gospel, we must live in a way that we can receive a witness from the Holy Ghost. President Henry B. Eyring said this about the effects of unworthiness on our testimonies. One of the effects of disobeying God seems to be the creation of just enough spiritual anesthetic to block any sensation as the ties to God are being cut. Not only does the testimony of the truth slowly erode, but even the memories of what it was like to be in the light begin to seem like a delusion. If there are things in your life that prevent the Holy Ghost from being able to provide this witness, please fix them as part of your testimony experiment. Then the witness will come. The last key is to share your testimony, whatever stage it is in. My wife and I recently went to Singapore with a group of BYU engineering students. What a great experience. While we were there, I had two nice experiences as a result of people sharing their testimony. One of the highlights of the trip was attending church at the Clementi Ward. The members of the ward were so welcoming to us. But what impressed me most was how they focused on sharing their testimonies. The youth speakers shared their testimonies. The adult speakers shared their testimonies. The bishopric and instructors shared their testimonies. And no, it was not fast and testimony meeting. It strengthened my testimony and it was refreshing to feel such a focus on testimonies. I'm sure it strengthened theirs as they shared them. While in Singapore, we also learned something interesting about Emily, our oldest daughter. She's really great at writing letters. Every night, we would look forward to reading her lengthy emails, which were informative, detailed, clever, and sometimes silly. She would tell us about what was going on at home and then tell us about each of her classes at school. On a number of occasions, she wrote about what she was learning in seminary. They were studying the martyrdom of the prophet Joseph Smith. In one of her letters, Emily shared with us her feelings about the prophet and about the ultimate price that he and Hiram paid for the restored gospel. I can't tell you how good that made me feel. Although she might not have known it, she was sharing her testimony. It strengthened mine, and I know it strengthened hers. I need to be more like that. I need to find simple ways to share my testimony of the gospel. Maybe it will benefit others, but it will certainly benefit me. <clears throat> Let me close with another beautiful statement by Elder Holland. I know this work is God's very truth, and I know that only at our peril would we allow doubt or devils to sway us from its path. Hope on. 
journey on. Honestly acknowledge your questions and your concerns, but first and forever fan the flame of your faith. Brothers and sisters, I want to share my testimony of testimonies. I know that no matter where your testimony stands, our Father in Heaven wants to help you make it stronger. I know that whether you never had a burning testimony or have temporarily lost yours, He can help you find it. Whatever the source of your doubts or concerns, He can remove them. If you fight for your testimony and look to the only source of all truth, I know you can have your own witness of the truthfulness of the gospel. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for a half hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was The Great Danger. Mark B. Colton gave his message entitled Never Give Up on Your Testimony of the Gospel. Speeches on Finding Center are often edited for broadcast. Find links to the full talks and access the rest of our Finding Center episodes on the free BYU radio app, available wherever you get your apps. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.